This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Welcome to The Every Lawyer, a Canadian Bar Association podcast. I'm your host, Marlise Silver-Sweeney. Today we are going traveling, or at least we're traveling vicariously on this episode. It's part one of a four-part series where we explore the Young Lawyers International Program, funded by Global Affairs Canada. It's an internship initiative in 10 different countries, giving young lawyers international legal opportunities in law reform, human rights, and access to justice. They go to places like Namibia, Madagascar, Vietnam, and beyond. Today, we're going to focus on packing up, taking off, and settling into these adventures by speaking with three participants. So fasten your seatbelt and buckle up, because we're going cross-continental on today's episode of The Every Lawyer. Our first stop is Serbia. Here we're chatting with Parveen Parmar. Before heading out to the Balkans, Parveen was studying law at the University of Calgary. Now she's working with UN Women in Belgrade. Her projects focus on increasing the access to justice for marginalized women in Serbia and other gender equality initiatives. Hi, Praveen. Thank you for joining us today. Hi. Thanks for having me. So we have to get the most important question for you out of the way first. And that is, what is your favorite Serbian dish that you've discovered while (laughs) in your internship? (laughs) Yes, yeah, that's a very, very important. All the important legal questions, yeah. Yes, of course. Um, okay, so I would have to say, I think it's probably Prebranic and maybe Probranit. another dish called Juvic and Sarma. So I feel like I'm just, so my background, I'm, um, I'm Punjabi, I'm East Indian, so I feel like I'm sort of just reconstructing dishes from my, <laughs> my own culture. Oh, okay. Because I, I slowly inadvertently realized that. And it, it's, it's more vegetarian dishes that I've really enjoyed when mm-hmm. I've, since I've been here. So Prebranic is more like a... Uh, like a bean sort of lentil dish and then mm. uh, sarma is like cabbage rolls it's really great it's really good yeah that sounds delicious <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been in Serbia for oh god I've been here since uh, October now which oh, is crazy wow. to think yeah that it's time has just flown by and so what was it like first getting there I, it was a while ago now it was October but was it was it completely overwhelming or did you feel at home right away? What was that transition period like for you? You know, it was really interesting. It's not that it was overwhelming because I always really enjoy, you know, going to a new place and kind of, I love that feeling of being pushed out of your comfort zone. So even when it's, you know, uh, uncomfortable, I love that, you know, so I I think when I first arrived, I wasn't really sure what to expect because mm. I do have Serbian friends in Canada, um, but I, I'd never been to the Balkans before. So I kind of arrived with these preconceived notions of what everything was going to be like. But right away, I, I really like this city. It had like a really gritty sort of fascinating Berlin sort of vibe. Oh, and, uh, yeah. yeah, it was it was really cool. And um I, I I definitely wasn't overwhelmed. I think I was just more excited to just start exploring the city and the region. Yeah. And so settling into the new community, how did you find your home? Like what did that and your friends and your your colleagues? How did you, you know, make a life for yourself there? You've been there for a while now. 
Right. Yeah. You know, it's actually been so easy. I feel like, I mean, especially when you go abroad, it's um, as an expat, you're kind of in this like artificial environment at first, right? There's mm-hmm. definitely the expat bubble. And in the beginning, you kind of just uh, socialize with other expats and, and foreigners and, and outsiders. But then I found that, uh, you know, slowly we just, uh, my roommate and I, uh, who also came through the program as well, mm. Uh, the Wilet program, we we sort of started branching out because we kind of realized, you know, what was the point of traveling halfway around the world to just hang out with more Canadians, as, as great as they are. It's, right. <laughs> right. You kind of want to expand your, your circle. So then we slowly just started finding more and more Serbian friends who have been honestly just just so great. And then they introduce you to more people and then on it goes. So it's been actually really easy. I think the the social aspect of it has been has been really fun to kind of just keep exploring because you just meet new people all the time constantly oh nice so it's a very open community right yes yeah I think if if you if you want that right it's right. there if, yeah. if you seek that out what why did you apply for the young lawyer international program good question so <laughs> I uh so I I Graduated from law school last year, June 2018, and Mm -hmm. in my final year, you know, I hadn't lined up an article, and that's extremely stressful, Mm -hmm. and everyone, you know, the legal market in Canada is so tough right now to land a position, Mm -hmm. but I kind of realized slowly through law school, you know, that I wasn't really a typical law student, and not that, you know, every lawyer wants to do this, but I I definitely didn't see myself working in a corporate atmosphere, I didn't see myself, you know, in in that kind of environment and really early on I had some really great opportunities in law school to work in uh, you know public interest law and social justice and I was able to work for you know after my first summer I interned with the UN abroad and after my second summer I worked for a human rights organization and I kind of realized that this is the the field that I want to be in and that this is sort of where I fit I'm not a really competitive person and I'm not super confrontational. So mm-hmm. I think I think it just kind of naturally fit. And I'm very interested in human rights and public international law. So then in my final year of law school, I saw uh, the Wilet uh, posting for this program and I just thought it was so perfect. And then it kind of worked out and it was it was a dream come true. So I was very lucky and grateful. Right. So this actually aligns, this experience, would you would say, aligns directly with your career ambitions and goals. Right. Exactly. Because that's what I think is so great about having a law degree. And I know it's cliche to say, and everyone said this to me in school, was that you really can go anywhere with it. You know, like in school, you're sort of taught the foundations and you're sort of sent down this sort of traditional structured path. But you really, mm-hmm. if you, the more that you learn and branch out, I feel like the more that you can then move into that field. So for me, learning more about the development world, I didn't come from that background, but through my brief experiences, I realized like I could use my law degree in this field. And so that's right. why this program was so great to to sort of get a, a foothold in that world. Right. Okay. And so right now you're working with UN women in Belgrade. Uh, what has what has the actual legal work been like? Do you feel like law school prepared you for it or were you, is it totally different and new? What type of skills are you gaining? So it is different. I find that, you know, especially um, with the other organizations that uh, the other Wilet participants have been sent to, I do think that their focus is a bit more legal with the mm-hmm. UN. 
you know, it, it is an international development organization. And while there are projects that I've worked on that do have legal aspects, a lot of it, you're not, um, you know, going to court, you're not necessarily advocating. The UN sort of acts in an, um, an advisory role. Right. Um, so I think that's sort of the, the field that I've kind of now found myself in and the skill set that I've learned. And a lot of it is also... Um, it deals a lot with project implementation. So you kind of have to learn both skill sets. So I think that's been something that I I know when I return home to Canada that I want to focus on as well, you know, just increasing my skills in, in project management and um, implementation as well as uh, staying within the realm of law. Okay, so project management. That actually leads me to my next question. And do you feel this experience has changed the course of your career at all? I think so, definitely. I think actually it's, I, I, I sort of realized um, early on in law school that I wasn't sure if I was going to pursue a traditional career path in law. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is kind of just emphasized that this is, this is where I want to be and this is where I want to go within the development world, whether it's more of a, an, you know, a smaller local NGO or a big international organization. I feel like there's there's so much room for for movement within it, and I think I think it definitely has just sort of emphasized that I uh, that this is where I want to be. What What did you do to prepare for this, both work wise and life wise, to pack up your life and move to Serbia and work in Serbia? Yeah, so I I didn't prepare a lot in terms of uh, life. I kind of just. Uh, you know, covered the basics and looked into my visa and the money issue and how I would be able to access money and, uh, you know, booking uh, temporary accommodations and things like that. It wasn't, uh, you know, my first time living abroad. So I was really excited, actually, to kind of just jump right in. But -hmm. in terms of work, I I know that every uh, new position that you start, it's always going to be a really steep learning curve. So you'll probably learn the best once you get there and on the job. But Prior to arriving in Belgrade, my uh, my office sent me just uh, a bunch of documents that they work with, and uh, you know their their gender briefs, which is uh, uh, just brief summaries of the different projects that they've been implementing and working on. Mm-hmm. So I I kind of just spent some time uh, going through that, and then just uh, perusing these uh, these documents that they sent me. So things like you know just uh, the different conventions, the Istanbul Convention, CEDA, just things that are relevant to uh, to the UN Women Program Office in in Serbia, because I I didn't have, you know, a lot of knowledge about the legal framework within Serbia. And, and, you know, their their legal system is is completely different from uh, the Canadian common law system. They follow a civil code. So for me, again, you know, coming from a different, yeah, right, of course, coming from a different background, it it was different for me. So I had to brush up on that. So that's kind of how I prepared. So my final question for you is, have you had any, I don't want to call them moments of culture shock, but moments where you just, you couldn't believe that you were doing what you were doing, where you're doing it? No, it's, uh, there definitely has been culture shock. I've also had reverse culture shock as well because of, you know, um, traveling over Christmas. I kind of experienced that when I went to London and I kind of, you know, I, I guess I didn't really realize how much I was so uh, immersed in the Serbian culture Hmm. and the way of life. But I think culture shock, a lot of it, um, you know, there's not, I don't know how to put this. There's not a ton of diversity here. So I think that's been sort of, uh, 
an issue that I've dealt with, um, you know, just coming from, uh, you know, my background and and sort of just dealing with everyone's questions all the time. And I realize it's not coming from a place of hostility. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, people are curious and they don't know. So they'll kind of come with their preconceived notions about both Canada and uh, my my background and India. So it's been Mm. it that has been sort of I wouldn't say culture shock, but it's definitely been something I've had to deal with over and over again. But you just have to have a lot of patience and yeah, take a deep breath and then realize, you know, just like you came in with your preconceived notions of what their society is like, they have that about you. So right. you just deal with it. Okay. Right. Well, I recognize the fact that it's dinner time for you in Serbia. So we're gonna let you we're gonna let you go and enjoy your Brobranitz. Is that an okay pronunciation? Uh Probranitz, yes. Probranitz. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's not the most direct flight path, but the next stop on our journey today is Kyrgyzstan, where we're meeting Muhammad Zubar. Before heading to Central Asia, Muhammad articled at Community Legal Aid in Windsor. Now he's working with the International Development Law Organization to promote the rule of law with projects that include increasing public trust in the judiciary. Hi, Mohammed. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. First and foremost, best Kyrgyzstani dish you've discovered. Okay, so all the food is really, really good, but my favorite so far is kurdak. It's very simple. It's potatoes, lots of meat, and onions. And uh, it's just very hearty after a good workout or a hike. It's the perfect thing to have with uh, some cold Coke. Mmm, that sounds amazing. <laughs> um, I guess we have to switch a little bit more into serious topics now. But uh, what were the first few weeks like for you? Can you walk us through what it was like to land and then to start working? Was it a lot of culture shock? Did it seem normal? What was it like for you? Okay, so I was very fortunate to have uh, people from our office be very, very accommodating. So when I landed, I was picked up from the airport. Uh, I was given a you know a bag of apples, some spare Aww. change to go get some get some food, um, a bottle of water, and just to get situated. And uh, the manager met me at the airport. Uh, um, sorry, at the hotel, even though I landed pretty late on Sunday evening. And he took me out to dinner on my first night there. Yeah. And he just answered some questions for me. So first few weeks were pretty smooth, thankfully, because it's, uh, uh, you know, it's a Muslim country. So I was able to, uh, there was a mosque right across the street. So it felt like home. I was able to eat whatever food because everything is halal here. So I, I was very fortunate that it wasn't very different for me. Oh, wow. Okay. Sounds like the people are very kind that you're working with. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Okay. And how did you find your apartment? Like, did you do the job searching beforehand or did you have that all set up for you through the program? Uh, the office coordinator booked us a hotel for a month. Okay. Uh, the other intern that's here is still living in the hotel, um, just, you know, like her apartment. Uh, me, I found a, a, my own apartment a month out just because I wanted to have access to a kitchen. I wanted to have my own space and my own privacy. Uh, because, uh, you know, at the hotel, it's very, very nice. It's lavish. It's um, really nice looking and they have cable TV. But 
the kitchen was the deal breaker for me. So, gotcha. uh, you know, the, the office helped out, but then I, I figured that I had to look for it myself. And uh, the people at the office, they connected me with random people that I could meet with and talk with and find an apartment that way. Gotcha. And speaking of talk with, is there, do you have any language impairments do you find or how, how's communicating there? I'm, I'm lucky enough that everybody at the office, pretty much everybody other than maybe one or two senior judges, Mm -hmm. uh, speaks English. The only reason our office functions in Russian is because our country manager, who's actually a former lawyer from Colorado, is fluent in Russian. So he chooses to speak Russian. So our weekly meetings are in Russian, but they could very easily be in English as well. Uh, so, you know, I started taking lessons, but there's really no barrier. I can talk to anybody in English if I want to. And we're uh, lucky enough that even if the staff meetings are taking place in Russian, somebody from the office will sit next to us and translate during the uh, meeting. Right, right. Okay. So transitioning to your work, uh, the work that you're doing, is it a lot different than your articles with legal aid in Ontario? Or is there any overlap? Is it, you know, are you learning completely new skills? What does that look like? Uh, So the work is really interesting because you just basically zoom out a little bit. I was in the micro when uh, during my articles, uh, working with clients, doing intakes, going to trial, uh, mm-hmm. and doing all of the casework in, in between. At this point, I've basically taken not one, but like two steps back. So now I'm on the international governmental level. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see how policies are formed. So it's intriguing. I've learned a lot, but it's still most of my work that I've been doing is the same foundation, strong research and analysis skills. And I've been just using that to uh, present what I have. So I've presented in front of the Association of Women Judges. Uh, I uh, presented a comparative legal analysis on human trafficking statistics oh, and wow. what we do in Canada and what the U.S. does to fight that and then how the statistics match up in relation to Kyrgyzstan. Uh, same thing I'm about to next week, I'm going to present to the Disciplinary Commission with some suggestions based on what we do in Canada and the U.S. on what they can do um, the procedures that they can follow and how they can kind of because their disciplinary commission is only a year and a half year uh, uh, only a year and a half old oh. right now so they're very new and they're trying to figure out their procedures and uh, and you know I'm trying to help out with that wow and so it sounds like you're so you're present doing lots of presenting public speaking so is it similar to litigation you know analogous skills Actually, yeah, because uh, especially the presentation I did in front of the uh, Association of Women Judges, because they were all judges, you know, 15 people Mm -hmm. from different levels of uh, first instance courts all the way to Supreme Court. And the presentation before me, uh, the uh, judge from the Supreme Court was uh, speaking and everybody was just listening. And that's what I was expecting. But then when I went up, uh, it was kind of like moot court all over again, where uh-huh. I was. it was like an appeals thing because everybody had questions and they were challenging me and saying, you know, well, the U.S. is a, is a destination country. Kyrgyzstan is an origin country or a transit country. So the statistics, like, how are they applicable here? How is this uh, comparative analysis applicable? And I had to defend my research. I wasn't prepared for that, but it was mm. really... Uh, a little bit intimidating initially, but yeah. also really uh, exciting to be able to 
defend my work and to tell them why it makes sense and why um, they're correct in certain aspects of it as well. Uh, so it's, it's yeah, it is similar to litigation, that if I don't know, if I didn't do my research well enough beforehand, it could very well become embarrassing for me. Right. And it would show. Well, it sounds like you're learning a lot and also reliving that first year moot, which is probably something none of us want to relive, you know, but (laughs) building up off of that, what skills are you learning at this internship that you can bring back to Canada? Uh, Pretty much everything I'm doing, I'm I'm just learning. Uh, One of the things that we're currently in the uh, that, are, that that's in the works is maybe mobilizing a local local law schools to build up the culture of legal scholarship. But mm-hmm. I'm trying to I don't have a background in statistics, but one of my coworkers does, and I'm basically trying to put together a proposal or a pilot study where we can have empirical legal research and look at statistics and trends in judicial decision making to see if we can find some trends of corruption or you know, anti-professional, just, uh, sorry, unprofessional behavior or whatever. But those are things that I'm learning because I never studied stats in law school or even before that. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, and and basically looking at methodologies for different surveys and different Mm -hmm. court user satisfaction uh, pilot surveys that we're putting together. So things that I never learned that don't really exist even in the court system or in the traditional legal path in Canada, but I think would be very, very useful in coming back because now I see doors opening up for me in government positions where, you know, because I've been in touch with Canadian judges that are on the Canadian Judicial Council because I was asking them for um, samples that we can use over here. And, you know, they've been very accommodating and they've been very open with the resources that they share with me. Uh, And it's all just been really, really good learning experience to look at it on the macro level, even in the Canadian system. Mm -hmm. What fascinating research. That actually is a perfect segue to my last question for you. And that is, do you think this experience has in any way shaped or changed the trajectory of your legal career? Uh, that's a timely question because I'm in the midst of a career crisis right now. Oh, no. Okay. Because in a good way, in the best okay. way possible. All right. Because before this, before the uh, displacement, my vision was, you know, this is a six-month thing. It's going to be cool, but I have to come back and I have to find a junior associate position and be a lawyer and establish myself. Mm-hmm. But being here and seeing how many doors have opened up and all the possibilities that exist internationally, it's thrown everything into question. And now I'm actively pursuing possibilities in Pakistan or Uzbekistan. So because it just feels that I know it's a very secure profession to be you know, a traditional lawyer in Canada, mm-hmm. but I just feel like I would be throwing away such a phenomenal opportunity. I would be closing the door on it by coming back and doing the same thing that I would have been doing had I never gone uh, gotten this opportunity. So I feel like I owe it to the program and owe it to myself to see where I can take this and where I can go with this. So it's really exciting, but also kind of intimidating because of the uncertainty. 
exciting and intimidating. All the best opportunities are those two things. Um, well, we'll let you get back to the cool deck. I know that it's uh, a lot later your time than it is uh, right now in Vancouver. So thank you so much for chatting with us and have a great night. Yes, thank you so much for having me and uh, you guys have a good rest of your day as well. The final leg of our journey today is South Africa, where we're meeting up with Amila Abd al-Rashid. Amila worked for a large corporate firm before she headed off to Johannesburg. She's currently at the South African History Archive, focusing on access to information legislation. Hi, Amila. Thanks for taking time away from your project to talk to us today. No worries. So first things first, most important question, does the South African Bray, is it Bray or Bry, live up to its reputation? Bry, sorry. Does the South African Bry live up to its reputation? I've heard so much about it. It sure does. There are tons of fun. There's so much food, all the friends and family that are invited. It's always an exciting time to go to a Bry. That's awesome. I'm getting hungry. How has the adjustment been for you settling into the community uh, and work life in Johannesburg? Um, At first, it was really hectic because I went into work the day after I landed in South Africa. And uh, yeah, and the team at the South African History Archive had events and tasks lined up for me as soon as I walked in the door. So it was really busy Um, on top of finding accommodation and getting settled. so for the first couple of weeks, it was really busy. But afterwards, it, it's normal day to day. I like it here. Okay, so normal day to day. I've I've heard a lot from, you know, a North American perspective that there's a lot of safety concerns in Johannesburg. Have you had to take those into account? Have, have they been what you expected or different? I think that from the pre-departure training, we were given quite a bit of a scare, to be honest. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I feel like once you hear, once you have your wits about you and you're aware of what's going on around you, you're going to be okay. I mean, you do get a little turned off by the fact that there are um, fenced off neighborhoods and uh, electric gates, things like that. But mm-hmm. apart from that, um, once you get used to seeing it, you're okay. You know what to do. Right. Okay. Um, And so how did you prepare for this opportunity? What did that look like back at home before you even landed and then immediately started working? Yeah, well, I had some issues with my visa, so I wasn't sure that I was able to participate at all. Oh, no. Uh, But once that that came through, uh, my work that I was uh, doing at the time, they were very flexible and they let me go uh, immediately. So there wasn't any issues with that. Uh, let my family know they they know that I like going out and about I did my law degree in England and so this wasn't okay. really anything new for them and uh, yeah then I just started researching South Africa as soon as I got the visa as soon as it came through I was like all right what am I getting myself into <laughs> and then I went for it yeah in general, um, both the experience in South Africa as a country but also the work that you're doing at the South African History Archive has the have these experiences been what you were expecting have they been really different what has that looked like it wasn't exactly I didn't know what to expect coming into it to be totally honest with you okay um yeah so my terms of reference like the explanation of what I would be doing didn't come until maybe a week after I actually arrived oh (laughs) wow and so coming in but they they had prepared like a training situation for me and how to use the access to information legislation they wanted me to get going as soon as I landed so it was great um it was an exciting experience that's for sure 
Mm-hmm. And do you think that this opportunity has changed the trajectory of your legal career at all? I know it's hard to ask you that, particularly it's, um, you know, you haven't been a lawyer for too long, but do you think this will shape it in any way? Definitely. So I already knew I had an eye for international work, but I think this kind of uh, makes it firm. (laughs) That's the direction I'm headed in next. Okay, so you're really enjoying the international aspects of this opportunity. Yes, and working with human rights, for sure. What's the culture like at your office? Is it a lot different than the culture at your large firm back in Canada, or are there a lot of similarities? Uh, I would say it's pretty different from working in a corporate environment back in Canada. Out here in the NGO, things are a little more laid back, I want to say, a little more relaxed. Um, Mm -hmm. There isn't as strict of a dress code unless you're client-facing. Uh, and it's quite a small office. So going from a firm of over 500 people to an office mm. with 10 or less is a drastic change. And so communication is different and I find it a lot more relaxed here. Okay. So different types of communication and more relaxed. Interesting. Um, what am I not asking you that you think is really important for our listeners to understand about this opportunity that you have and your experience in South Africa? Um, I think a good question would be to ask about what characteristics or what traits have helped you adapt to the new environment. Ooh, I like it. Okay, I'm turning it right back at you. So, yeah, what what characteristics of yours do you think have helped you? Uh, being flexible and being open-minded, for sure. And did you have to grow those skills, or did you already have them when you went to South Africa? I thought that I had them already, having lived abroad before, but once you're here, it's completely different, and I think I've expanded them since being here. Yeah. Okay. Well, lovely. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Mila. I know it's dinner time, so we're just going to visualize you tucking into the braai. Thank you for joining us for and to explain about this rich uh, experience that you're having in South Africa and Johannesburg and working on the South African History Archive. It's, It's really exciting to hear about all those opportunities. And that brings us to the end of today's in-flight entertainment. I hope you enjoyed our journey around the world, speaking with Canadian legal interns who are immersed in three very distinct cultures. If you're interested in the program and want to apply for the 2019-2020 internship cycle, you have until April 30th. But if you miss the deadline, don't worry, there's always next year. Go to cba.org YLIP to apply and learn more. With funding from Global Affairs Canada, there are currently hundreds of rewarding volunteer opportunities. I'd love to hear about your favorite travel moments, particularly if they pertain to food, and I guess the law too. Tweet to us at CBA underscore news, or you can reach me at my handle at MarliseSS. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, and Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes. We also have a podcast in French called Juriste Branché. On part two of the series, we'll explore the before, during, and after of the Young Lawyers International Program and continue our cross-continental journey. I may or may not be channeling Anthony Bourdain again, too. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode.